Welcome to the Hardware Asylum Podcast. In this episode, we talk SSDs and which one is right for you. And we ask the question, are RGB LEDs dead? I'm your host, Dennis Garcia. With me today, I have Darren McKay. So last month on the podcast, we had a special interview with Patrick from Crucial. Yes, we did. And he was talking about building a system, a gaming system, to play Fortnite primarily. But it really applies to any sort of a gaming system. And he made a comment that kind of stuck with me because we talk about it all the time. And he said that if you're not building a PC with an SSD, you're building it wrong. And he just flat out said, you're building it wrong. And that kind of really hit the home because when you're thinking about budgets, you never really think about speed you think about size performance, you know, gig performance sort of thing. And a lot of times the two terabyte rotational drive is the way to go, but it's not necessarily fast and appropriate for playing games. So we have discussed this in the past. And in fact, for the longest time, my backup PC, uh, which was my gaming machine at the house, had a hybrid drive in it because... Uh, you know, it was sort of a transitionary period the last time that we talked about this. And then eventually we moved that machine into M.2, which brings us kind of to tonight. So based on that conversation, it got me looking at the new backup PC that my uh, son has been using. You mean the one that's right over there? It I'm, is. I'm pointing in virtual space, by the way. So in the lab right now, as you're watching on the video cast at home, I hope, you will see that we are working on upgrading what I would say is my reasonably priced gaming PC, which you often hear us talk about as the backup PC. Yeah, we're not going to have a movie star trying to play games on it, by the way. No, and unlike the main PC where we tend to get a little bit showy and high-end with you know LEDs and water cooling, this one is really supposed to be quiet and dependable and functional. So rather than go for cutting edge and flashy, this machine is relatively subdued. It's in a Lian Lee chassis. Yeah, an inexpensive one, actually, one of the metal ones. Right. We've got a hybrid hard drive in it from Cooler Master, so the fan is almost never on. You mean that's a power supply? Oh, yeah, that's right, power supply. Mm -hmm. It is running a little bit older video card, which is a fairly regular conversation for upgrade. In fact, I thought that would be the next upgrade. It's a 970. Yeah, from uh, it's the Windforce from Gigabyte. It is, and it was their super clocked edition, so not a bad 970. Uh, 970 is still relevant for most games. It really does pretty well, but, uh, and it has even 16 gigs of really good uh, G-Skill memory in it, a 3200 speed. And a 6600K on an MSI, I forget the name of the motherboard, but it's an MSI motherboard. It is. So it is a pretty stout machine. But this week, as we started getting ready for upgrading the main machine for our next round of demos and LAN parties, uh, we spent a little more time on that. And by we, I mean that I basically kicked my kids off of it. So I was working on this backup machine and I discovered, dun, 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 that it had a glaring weak spot. And if you've been paying attention, you've maybe noticed what we didn't mention. Mm, storage? What? Storage. SSDs. Patrick was right. This machine still had a couple of old rotational drives in it, and it was just a couple of drives that we took off the shelf, and they were intended to be a temporary solution. And in fact, when we put this build together with two 320-gig hard drives, the intention was we'd raid that until we got around to putting an M.2 drive into that machine. And what happened was somebody wanted to use the machine, so you install an OS on it, and it never got raided. 
Right. And once you get the operating system installed, it is really difficult to migrate that OS install from a single drive to a RAID drive because of drivers and stuff like that. Exactly. So like a lot of folks, I just got trapped in good enough. And after listening to the podcast with Patrick, which you should go back and listen to, it was a really good podcast, actually, even though, sadly, I was not a part of it. I think that you might come to the same conclusion. And what I found myself doing, Dennis, was going out and looking at the prices of SSDs. And Patrick is absolutely correct. And what? Speed? Price? Performance? All of those things. I just cannot find a good reason to build a machine that isn't at least primarily based around an SSD. But... There are a lot of SSD options out there. Yes, lots. And you need to know the difference. And that's what we're going to kind of talk about. Before we get into that too much, let me finish the story of the build by telling you what we decided to do was based on Patrick's recommend. We went with a crucial MX500 hard drive. We put it in at 500 gigabytes. And the intention is that... If additional storage is necessary, we will put a storage drive in it, but more than likely, we'll just attach it to the NAS in the house, and that will be its outbound storage device. Yeah. Since we're already working off essentially two 320s, we know that the 500 will probably be good enough. Yeah, plenty, plenty big. You bring up a good point about the NAS being on the network, because you don't have to have a storage drive to back up your data. You can back it up directly to the NAS, which is really where it should be, centrally located on network on a separate machine. And I really feel like before we move on too much, I want to hit that again because we don't talk about the NASAs very much on the podcast because they're not very flashy and fun to review. And realistically, once you have a good NAS in place, it's going to be really a long time before you touch it again. Well, no, not unless it doesn't work anymore. Or somehow you fill it up. And if you plan ahead like I have, I've got 12 terabytes in my NAS. Mm, 12 and, terabytes. And because I stream most of my music in these days and, and red box my movies or watch them on demand, I found that I don't pack rat media like I used to. And without going into further detail, it is a RAID 5, so you have a lot of built-in redundancy. I've had that NAS drive for, well, I don't know, it seems like about three years, and I've only had one drive failure in it. And it was very easy for me to pull out a drive and remirror it. So uh, putting me really at ease... And it made it so I very rarely store anything on my local machine for very long at all. And that's the way it should be. That's right. So let's go back to the Crucial MX500. And uh, I think this is a good starting point because the reason that we chose this drive is not just because Patrick recommended it, but because it really represents a pretty good bang for your buck. It's not the fastest or the largest drive, but it is one of the most dependable, high-quality drives on the market. I will link my review to the MX500 in the show notes. But uh, the highlights of this drive are basically it's built on 3D NAND. And that's something that Crucial slash Micron, well, Micron slash Crucial, uh, had developed as a, the next generation of storage. And it allows you to pack more data vertically on a chip so that you can make smaller chips and make them faster. So this particular drive... Again, a 500 gig. Now, there are a lot of different drives out there, and Crucial is a great example because they have really two primary drives out there, and this might be a good place to start. The MX500 series and the BX500 series. And I guess without getting too technical, uh, what's a good description of the difference? The difference is that the BX is the MX without all of the cool MX features. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. So the MX drive has a kind of a RAID fallover for the NAND chips inside. It also has built-in encryption. 
and a couple of other enterprise-ish features that make the drive a bit faster and a bit more reliable. Okay. So the reason we chose an MX over a BX, I think, is relatively simple. Not necessarily because we needed those features, but because the difference in price is so small, why not? Yeah, it's $10 for the most part. I have up on Newegg right now the Crucial MX500. It's a 500 gig SATA 3, 3D NAND internal, blah, 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 blah. It is right now listed for $90. Not a bad price, really. 90 for 500 gigs just makes me think back to the early days when we never thought that we'd get to a dollar a gig. Remember that? Oh, yeah, I remember it fondly. So let's so, talk performance. I see that's where you want to go already. Yeah, I'm scrolling down. Uh, the, the, 500, the MX500 is a relatively fast drive for an SSD. Basically, we're just going to quote max sequential and writes and reads. So on the read, we have 560 meg. Um, Mbps megabits per second. The write, which is what is really important to a lot of users that are buying and cherry picking SSDs, we have the writes at 510 megabits per second. And this, I think, just kind of falls back on how spoiled us enthusiasts really have become over the last few years. The storage has fallen in price because this drive is still based on the relatively older SATA 3 technology. Let's look at a faster one. It's been around for a while. Okay. We're going to pull up the HyperX Savage. So the difference in this, primarily when we look at different drives, is really about the drive controller technology that's being used. That's where all the innovation is happening. Yeah, it's the controller and the actual storage. So the MX500 was a 500 gig drive. The Savage is using the Fizon controller, and it's limited to 480 gigs because of the way that the chips are oriented on the board. So you lose a little bit. Now, I'm going to argue that the difference between 480 and 500 is pretty negligible. For the most part, it is. So if we look at sequential reads, it is at 560 megabits per second, 10 faster than the crucial. Right. The sequential write is at 530 megabits per second, which is 20 more than the crucial. Well, yeah, and that's that's a relatively small percentage, but definitely faster. So how much would you pay for a bump in speed? They list it for $190. Wow. So more than double, really. For uh, what are we looking at? So let's see, 20 out of 500. So uh, 10, 5%. My math brain's not working on review night, but. It's not here either. But it is considerably more expensive. And the reason for that is because of the way that chips are laid out. There's more chips on this board. Okay. And the Fizon controller has been notably more expensive than any other one on the market. Well, I guess if you need the cutting edge, right, then you get to pay for the privilege. Yeah, it's it's faster, so that's the way it is. Now, if we look at one of the new drives from HyperX that just came out, we have the HyperX Fury RGB 480 gig SSD 3D TLC internal started, blah, blah, blah. Now, that is a mouthful, but I want to stop and first tell you that I don't think the podcast does this drive justice. And we saw these at CES and oohed and odd over them, not because of the speed or the price, but because dun dun dun. They have RGB LEDs. Programmable and on, on daisy the, chainable. Yes, on the drive. So if you get six of them, you could into the controller off your motherboard and it's synchronized perfectly. Woohoo. So great for windowed cases. And I'm imagining that this is at a little bit of a premium, but how does the performance deal? Well, let's look at price first. How's that? All right, let's start at price. So this is a 480 again, so it correctly compares to the previous Savage. Mm-hmm. And it's a Fury, which is a down market one from HyperX. So you got to keep that in mind. They have it listed on sale for $140. The um, 
Regular price is $210. So basically $40 more than the Crucial that we went with. You do get the RGB lighting, but what do you get for performance? Sequential reads are 550 megabits per second. Okay, so a little bit faster still. Sequential write is at 480, way slower on the writes. Interesting. One reason why this is considered down market, but it's also using the Marvell controller, and that's the major difference. Okay, so a different controller, a little bit slower on the right side, mm-hmm. but you get the cool lights. Yeah. All right, so we have talked a little bit about those, but longtime listeners of the podcast will know that we don't generally recommend SSDs that are on a SATA controller because the latest technology is not found on the SATA controller. It is M.2. M.2. That is your PCI Express interface directly into the drive. But there are two versions of the M.2 that a lot of people do not know about. And that's a good point because when you're shopping it, the performance numbers are what count. So let's look at a couple of M.2 drives, shall we? Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. All right, let me pull them up real quick. And as you're pulling these up, I think we should point out that both of our primary machines are running SSD drives in them that are on the M.2 interface. And modern motherboards have now pretty standard one, and we're starting to see boards come out that will support multiples. So we have the Crucial MX500 M.2. It's a 2280 SATA 3 using 3D Basically, this is, from the specs, the same drive as the MX500 two and a half. Yeah. And I see that with the MX500, we're probably looking at the same style of chipset with the 3D NAND, right? Mm-hmm. 3D NAND. So how much performance do we gain by jumping over to the M.2 form factor? Sequential reads at 560 megabits per second and the sequential write at 510 megabits per second. Now, hold on. If I'm not mistaken, that's an M.2 drive, but it still says the interface is a SATA 3 interface. That is correct. And the specs are I mean, we could flash back, but isn't that exactly the same? It is exactly the same. The specs are identical because it is on a SATA interface. It just happens to be plugging in directly to the M.2 slot. So it has its own SATA controller, basically. Okay, so let's talk price. Do we gain anything in price? Now, this is a little bit smaller. It uses the newer interface. And look at that, $89.99, basically the same price mm-hmm. for the same drive in two different form factors. So what do we gain by moving to the MX500 on M.2? Nothing. Well, I guess you'd free up a drive slot, right? Yeah, you get free up a drive slot. You don't have any SATA cables. Oh, and if you have a, uh, like a, uh, what is it, a mini ITX motherboard, right? you can drop this drive on top of that board and put it into even a smaller case. That's true, because you wouldn't need any external drives at that point. Now, I know that my M.2 is faster. And, faster. and you're pulling it out. I think this is the same one that you have too. Well, we this have? is the one that I bought. You have the oh. Samsung 950. Oh, that's right. So it's one generation newer than mine. A little bit faster. Right now I have the Samsung 960 Pro. There's another version of it, which is the, not Pro, I forget. The Evo. The Evo, yes. This is a 512 gig NVMe PCI Express 3.0. And I believe it's using the 3D NAND as well. The important thing here is that it is an M.2 drive. It's using a completely different interface, which is the NVMe interface, which I believe was developed by Intel. That is basically the next generation controller that is designed specifically for SSDs and allows the drive to unleash the power of the NAND flash. So we are starting to saturate then that M.2 interface. That doesn't mean we're there yet. 
but we're certainly seeing an incredible boost in performance to no, check those numbers out. 3,500. And they didn't even put anything after the 500 because, you know, at that speed, it's a little negligible. You're kind of pinching pennies. 3,500 over what was the fastest we saw was still under 600. 560 on, was the fastest. 560 on the SATA 3. And then, of Does, course, the, the sequential writes are considerably slower than the reads at 2,100. Yeah, but in comparison to the 500-ish that we were seeing, brutally faster, which is the reason that we recommend this. But you do get the additional cost, of course. And so where does this puppy price in? Uh, 180. Now, this is on Newegg. And if you bought today, the day we recorded this, or in the short neighborhood, you would also get a copy of Far Cry 5. Yay, Far Cry 5. So in now, theory, another maybe 20 to $60 value, depending on your time of day. At the $180 price point, that is actually cheaper than the previous 2.5-inch HyperX Savage Hybrid Savage gets savaged, if you will, by the 960 Pro. Even the 960 Evo is only slightly slower, would still destroy it. Well, and to the credit, the Savage Drive, I think, is kind of end of life. They don't, HyperX doesn't sell them as much anymore. The one that we see on Newegg isn't even sold by Newegg, so. So the long story short, folks, is let's go back to Patrick's statement. The price of an SSD, even what I would consider is a good value proposition like the Micron MX500, is still so much faster than a rotational drive. And as a great example, they regularly quote boot times less than 30 seconds from scratch to Windows. If you want to go even faster, even my now one generation old 950 Evo is a 12 second boot to Windows. Well, and even if you have some of these slower SATA-based SSDs, if you put two of them in a RAID, it is literally twice as fast. Yeah, and that's an interesting way of putting it because it does give you the opportunity, and we used to talk about this all the time with video cards, right? So you don't have to stretch your budget too badly to get a really nice SATA 3 drive. And if your board supports it, one or more M.2s, which is always better. And I think we've done a pretty good job of proving that the price point isn't that much more to move to M.2. There, and in the last segment, we talked about SSD performance, and one of the drives that came up was the RGB LED-enabled Fury Drive from HyperX. Absolutely, and this was, as we mentioned, one of the stars of CES, because they were first to the market with LED SSDs, and not just a weak implementation, daisy-chainable, controllable, system-sync-friendly, pretty darn sexy. Pretty darn. And as we talked about in the other segment, pretty darn fast. Yeah, not it is not a slow drive, even though HyperX claims that it is. But on top of SSDs with RGB LEDs, we have video cards, we have sound cards, we have motherboards, we have computer cases, we have headsets, we have keyboards, we have mice, we have mouse pads, we have chairs, we have houses, we have, <laughs> everything has RGB LEDs. And you know what? What? I think RGB LEDs are dead. No, I just saw a mouse bungee. It can't be over yet. <laughs> it cannot. <laughs> I think it is, though. There was a teaser on the uh, MSI Twitter. Oh, yeah. That you sent me via uh, Facebook Messenger, actually. It is, it's amazing. It is amazing. This and, is. And you know what? It isn't. So cool. It is so cool. And it is not an RGB LED, it is an LED screen which might be arguably a bunch of LEDs all stuck together. Right. 
And there's not a lot of uh, information about this other than it's going to be controlled through their Mystic Light app, which we've talked quite a bit about when we talked previously about the different types of infrastructures that are out there right now for controlling your LED displays. Yeah, so the, the tweet, though, it says, Coming soon to the MSI godlike motherboard near you, the dynamic dashboard. Create custom animated GIFs. I said GIFs, by the way. I heard. That you'll be able to display on dynamic dashboard through the Mystic Light app. This is amazing. This is next generation. This is hold the presses OMG. It could be OLED. It could be the beginning of the end. It could eventually turn into touch screens. Yes. But you know what? They're not the first. What? I know. No, because I haven't seen one of these before. I think I would remember if I'd seen an LED screen, at least one that would play animation on a motherboard, right? Yeah. Well, I have one right over here which is the ROG Maximus X formula that actually has this little uh, little dilly bobber. No, it doesn't. That's it, the Maximus. It has just the LED thing, the little numbers for your temps and crap, right? No, well, this is the formula. And the thing that is different between this and the MSI version is that you can't tell that it's a screen if you just look at it. And I will prove that. We'll go and open this up real quick, and there'll be some little rustling. All right, let's see this thing, because I know that you were talking about doing a build on this, but I did not realize I'd missed a screen. Oh, it is a pretty motherboard. Look at that black on black. Black on black. It's awesome. And it's also got a water-cooled VRM. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, you've reviewed this product, right? I have. You can check the show notes for a link to the review. And I do believe also, if I'm not mistaken, that this is one that you've been eyeballing for a build. In fact, we just talked about building land party builds, and I know this one has been pretty high on your list, and I can definitely see why. I'm holding it. It's heavy. It's heavy. It's got a backplate. It's black. It's got a built-in backplate, which is pretty sexy. Pretty and, and integrated I.O. cover. Yeah, and it's got, what would you call this, this beautiful protective panel here? Yeah, garbage. Yeah. No, it's actually, it's a... Basically a shield. It covers all of the protective bits underneath, like the the traces and stuff. Now, we just talked storage, and I'm pretty sure this also covers an M.2 drive, if I'm not mistaken. It does, and it's ingeniously embedded under the MCP uh, heatsink. So something we didn't talk about in the storage thing is that you can now get aftermarket cooling for your M.2 drives which uh, doesn't really give you a lot of performance, at least at the current state of the technology, but they look darn cool. And it keeps the drive cool. NVMe drives are notoriously hot, partially because they're really effing fast. Mm -hmm. ROG, or the Asus company here, they integrate their M.2s that are designed for the NVMe into the heatsink that cools the chipset. So I'm holding this thing in my hand, Dennis. It's heavy, isn't it? I've seen it before. And I still don't know where this screen is. It's, yeah, and that's, I don't know if that's ingenious or not, <laughs> but the screen is right here underneath the CPU and right above the first 16X oh, okay. PCI Express slot. I do see where it is now, but it's, it is, I mean, other than the fact it's a little bit shinier, I guess, when I turn it into the light, it says Republic of Gamers on it. I just sort of assumed it was, uh, you know, where a sticker or something would go. And that's what I thought originally when I powered it on. And then all of a sudden it started flashing at me and had this little animation going. I'm like, what the heck? So I did a little bit more research. Of course. And it has its own separate app that allows you to upload an animated GIF to it. That if you build it into this 
the form factor that it requires and it has a specified size, you create this little animation and it's just a basic black and white animation. You said Jeff again. I did say Jeff. <laughs> now that's pretty cool. And I can see by the size of the screen that of course you'd be limited by, you know, the pixel count, for example. Mm -hmm. And you say this is not a full color screen. It's not full color. It's just black and white. So how is this not getting more press? I feel like, um, you know, that would be super cool in a window case. In fact, I now find that I might want it. <laughs> um, yeah, much like the lightning cards. <laughs> steal. Try to steal Devil from Devil 13. It. Yes. I'm not sure why the little screens are not getting any more press. However, I did find a couple of limitations with the animated GIF. All right, so I'm going to hand this back over because it is a beast. It's and I'm afraid I will hurt it now that it has a delicate screen on it. Oh, yeah. Before it just seemed industrial strength. Yeah, well, it's water-cooled, you know. Mm -hmm. The software that runs these, so the board itself has a bit of onboard memory, and I think it's stored in the BIOS. And that is where the default animation is stored, right? I believe. It's in a little BIOS on here somewhere. And then you use the software to flash a version on top of the memory that's occupied for that piece of component. Okay. Kind of like a TSR back in the old days, right? So now back in the day, we used to put these uh, LED screens um, in, in our computers, and you'd buy the externals. Our Orbital, I think, made the one that I last used, and they would fit in a five and a quarter drive bay, and they were arguably not very intelligent. Then we started to see them creep into keyboards, the infamous Logitech G15, one of the all-time great keyboards for its time. And now we're starting to see that similar technology from a lot of manufacturers. So I can see that we could have the same screen display if it uses the Mystic drivers. You're right. LED could be dead because we could start to see these fancy animated displays everywhere. Yeah. Assuming they can get past the limitation that I found, whereas it is just an animated picture. It's not a full video. You can't program it dynamically to display anything. It's just a little animation that plays. But the Twitter preview did do a pretty good job of showing what looked like real-time animation. And I get from the days of cartoons, of course, that this can be done through slideshow, stop-motion style. Yeah. Either way, you're going to see animation. And if it is cinematic, it's going to be either 30 or 60 frames per second. And that is what's going to display here. So a cool-looking motherboard. But I still have to say... The video from MSI for the Godlike. Way better. Way than, sexy. It was way better than what I saw when I reviewed this board and what I was able to load into it. It was somewhat limited in like what you could upload. There were certain size limitations and whatnot. There's a few of them that you could download from Asus directly. Uh, there's one that's stock on the board. This one actually had a default one that was flashed somewhere that I can't get rid of. And it has a custom animation. So it would seem that... Asus has been personalizing these boards in certain instances. Oh, interesting. That just means we need to figure out how to get to it, right? Exactly. Because if they can do it, we, we should be able to do it too. Yes. And I think that that's probably the intention. And what I'm wondering is if the screen just didn't take off as quickly as they thought. A first generation, if you will. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm thinking back to the Pentium 4 days. And you might remember this. They used to have a little screen on the back I.O. Oh, yeah. That would... Um, Count down the postcodes. Right. And that would allow you to see what the postcode was outside of the machine. Yeah, early, and early overclocking. Yeah, and it's just kind of an extension of that. And that's what, kind of what I thought it was to begin with. But now with MSI going and posting one, 
I think it's kind of going to be a me too, and it'll be a race to see who could do the best screen on a motherboard. Absolutely. So we'll see size. I could easily see it be a breakout box that was controlled directly by your machine. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could fit in a slot. It could fit in, you know, oh, actually, you all know, the, kinds of things. A vertical, right? Well, you know those iBuy power machines we saw at CES that had the side panel as a monitor? Oh, those are sexy too. We still need to do one of those mods. But... This has, I think, great potential. I remember back to when the G15 was the big thing and we all wanted to see our MP3 players displayed on it and then our in-game statistics. And then, of course, you wanted to see your fan speeds and your heat, right? So it's really just kind of a return to those classics, only modern technology. Yes. And again, I don't see RGB LEDs going away, but they're going to have a real tough competition when we start getting animated screens on all of our devices. I think so. And as the cost comes down on these things, you're going to see, I think, greater adaptation. And good heavens, Dennis, let's not get to LED screens on our mouse pads and our chairs. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I hope not. Anyhow, with that, be sure to check out the review. I will link the Twitter post to the godlike screen in the show notes. And if you have any questions, let us know. For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes on hardwareasylum.com. Stay up to date on the latest at Hardware Asylum by subscribing to our RSS. Follow us on Twitter or like us on Facebook. This has been a Ninja Lane production, copyright 2018. Thanks for listening.